mindfulness mode. I walk down the street with a pocket knife in my hand or my keys between my knuckles everywhere I went every single day. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness here in mindfulness mode with me, your host and mindfulness life coach, Bruce Langford. Hey, Mindful Tribe, life is not always easy. We certainly know that from the podcast. We know that from talking to hundreds and hundreds of guests. Well, my guest today, he took major challenges through his time throughout childhood and teenagehood, and he was able to flip this flip this over and and make things completely different for him and he's he's now just changed his life in incredible ways i'm really excited to talk to him and to share what his story is and and how motivational he is and how connected to mindfulness he is i'm just really excited about this i'm here today with michael unbroken michael are you in mindfulness mode today I am Bruce. Um, It's a part of my day to day. And uh, I'm very excited to be here with you, my friend. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Michael, if it's okay, I'd like to share a little bit about you, about your, your story. Michael Unbroken is an entrepreneur, a coach, a podcast host, and he's an award winning speaker, best selling author, and advocate for adult survivors of childhood trauma. Well, you see, he himself is a survivor of child abuse, and he was raised by a drug addict and alcoholic mother who actually cut off his finger, an abusive stepfather. And as a result of all this, he was forced to find his way through life with no real guidance, no real compassion or support. He was a drug addict by the age of 13, and then he was adopted by a racist grandmother, at which time... For the next 15 years, he was destined to be, his life was characterized by guns, illicit drugs, crime, hookups, suicide attempts, and poverty. But then suddenly, six years ago, everything changed. We're going to be talking about this change and talking about this life. And he says his story isn't that different from thousands and thousands of other people in the world. But what is different is he is now in the position where he is helping other people and he's helping them through mindfulness. He's helping them through what he knows and understands about challenges in life. So Michael, tell us, what does mindfulness mean to you? You know, it's, um, it's fascinating to me when I think about the journey that I've been through and understanding the long-term detrimental ramifications of childhood trauma and recognizing that the the truth about child abuse that I don't think people talk about, and maybe it's just because we haven't quite wrapped our heads around it, which over the course of probably the last six, eight months I've really been tapping into, is that it is the theft of identity, right? And, And mindfulness for me has played this tremendous role in allowing me to move from being dissociated to being able to be in alignment with who it is that I am today and my future and my goals and my power and passion and all of those things. I mean, there's even um, a a giant poster in front of me. You can't see it right now. It says mindset is everything. Mm -hmm. And I fully believe that to be true because I'll, I'll tell you this with, without this ability that I have cultivated to be able to be introspective, 
to be able to sit in the silence, to be able to make meaning of my experiences. Like I would not be here. And this process started for me, you know, over 10 years ago now. And over the last six specifically, as I've grown Think Unbroken and this brand and this company to try to help people, man, it's incredible how much I've really had to tap into all the aspects of mindfulness to be able to move about life in the day to day while juggling running three businesses and living a busy life and traveling the world and speaking on stages and writing books and all that. And, and ultimately, without, and I know this is a long answer to your question, but without mindfulness, I would not be here talking to you right now. And that is the greatest tool in my entire arsenal, period. Wow. You've written a book called Think Unbroken, Understanding and Overcoming Childhood Trauma. So tell us about the the place you came to when you decided to write this book. Well, you know, for the last 11, 12 years, I've been incredibly studious in both personal development, um, mindfulness in spirituality, as well as in trauma-informed education. And like, I have like over 30 certifications in trauma-informed education today, right? I don't have a high school diploma. I don't have a college degree. It's just something that, you know, at my core, I'm a writer first. Like I go back and I look at some of the earliest experiences of my life and I was always writing. And Think Unbroken came about, well, the book specifically came about because one of the things that I recognize as I step deeper into this journey is not a lot of the books, not a lot of the content, not a lot of the programs that I was consuming felt practical to me. And what I wanted to do with Think Unbroken, the, the, the book, the first book, Understanding Overcoming Childhood Trauma, was... I wanted to write a book that would be a companion for people on their journey that is part journal, part coaching, a huge part about education and not about me. I mean, the preface is, of course, because context, but outside of that, it's really about giving people what I've understood as the baseline tools to create change in their life. The, Bruce, this is a 101 book. This is the entry level. This is this is a get you started kind of book because I, I realized that, that, I mean, there's some amazing literature on childhood trauma and some of it is so convoluted for people who don't have doctorate degrees. You know what I mean? And I said to myself, I've spent a tremendous amount of time, effort, energy, and money studying this, being in room with doctoral candidates, being at events and learning from people like Gabor Mate and Pete Walker and Bessel van der Kolk and all these amazing people just in that space and, and having to decipher that into like words that are practical for someone like me to understand. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I always said I was going to write a book and it was like, this was ultimately the first. And it's just, I wanted it to be something that people could hold on to. And what's really fascinating, Bruce, is every publisher that I reached out to told me no. Every agent told me no. Hundreds of people. Most of them just didn't even respond. The ones who did said, this isn't a book that people want to read. And I thought to myself, you know, the truth about it is childhood trauma is stuffed under the rug in this world. And it impacts more people than we can even begin to count. And it seems to be that thing that's always hidden. And so I self-published it and it sold thousands and thousands of copies, man. There's like eight reviews online. 
Nobody shares it on the internet. Nobody shows the cover, right? Because we still live in a society in which people go, oh, shouldn't you be over that by now? And I think it's fair to say that we both know that's not how the world works. So I know writing really feeds you. I know that writing really lights you up. Tell us about that. When did you find that out? And, and tell us what it actually does for you, Michael. Yeah, you know, so it depends on what I am writing. Um, it is, if you, you can't, again, you can't see it in front of me. I've got five different journals in front of me. And every one of these journals actually serves a different purpose in my life. For example, my red ones for being angry. Like if I'm pissed off, I'm going to get in that journal and I'm going to like let those, those words get out of my head and out of my body and onto that paper. I mean, it's such a cathartic process. If, if I'm writing to educate, then that's what it's about. How can I put together something that feels practical, something that feels usable, something that people can digest? Um, but also in, in writing, it helps me make meaning and better understand things. I mean, I've, I've honestly been a writer my whole life when I was, this is silly, but when I was eight years old, I actually wrote a vampire romantic comedy screenplay when I was like eight years old. I'm wow. going to age myself, but the Eddie Murphy movie Vampire in Brooklyn had come out and I like loved that movie as a kid. And I was like, oh, I'm going to write this too. Um, and so, you know, it's just always been a part of who I am. Um, wanting to write a book a year until I die feels like um, a very simple thing in some context um, because I just, I made up my mind, Bruce. I said, I'm going to do this. And so writing for me has been, I mean, there's so much to it, but ultimately it's a, for lack of a better term, it's a safe space. Like I'll put whatever I want in those pages. Some of them you'll see, and some of them will never see the light of day. And that helps me just process and make meaning of my experiences of life and to, to better understand. I mean, I'm even at the point where I, when I'm studying something, I have a journal right there where I'm taking notes. I might be writing the same things, just trying to bury things in my brain. And it's, it's just become an art of being studious. I'm really interested in your take, you know, when it comes to mindfulness and the English language and how in the English language, you know, there's there's a lot of ways we can express ourselves that that would be considered illicit, that would not be considered mainstream or YouTube would would kick me off or or Apple would. But in some other languages, that isn't so much the case. Some other languages, you know, they have different ways of communicating. How do you feel that uh, communicating that way uh, serves people? Because there are some people that just, that is the way they communicate. And without it, they feel as though their hands are tied. Yeah. I mean, it's a great question. You know, we live in it's so interesting to me that we live in societies that deem one of the greatest parts of our society being freedom of speech. And yet I find that more often than not does not actually hold true. Yeah. And, and what's fascinating to me, like if, if you look at my YouTube channel, for instance, I don't know, there's like 200 videos or something. They have no views because there's cursing in every single one. That's who I am. Like, I'm not going to change that. I'm not going to make that go away in my life. And that's how I communicate, right? And, and I think that we all have a different way of using words that create meaning in our life. And 
to be dismissive of that or you know it's really funny because depending on where i'm at in the united states um people will come up to me and they'll be like oh you shouldn't use curse words and i'm like don't tell me how to communicate i like this is my freedom as a human being it's it's interesting how combative people will get over something that seems nonsensical and it would be the same context as me saying don't use the word god you know what i mean yeah and i, I do. think that you have to you have to be able to share who you are without feeling like you have to bend to appease other people. And that's one of the more difficult parts of, I think, the human experience, because from the time we're young, we grow up in these schools and these societies and these homes and these communities that say, be this, don't be that, act this way, don't act that way, raise your hand, walk on the right side of the hall. You know, you color the moon purple and the teacher ostracizes you and criticizes you and says, that's not how you do it, Bruce. And then you find yourself in this position at 13, 18, 42, 60 years old, where you don't know how to speak up for yourself, where you don't know how to be the person that you are because you've never been allowed to. And, and I think one of the greatest discoveries I've had in my life is the willingness to not give a shit about what people think about me. And I don't mean that in this like hubris kind of pious way. I mean it in a very, very literal way in the same way that it makes me full of joy when someone is like, Hey, that thing that you made empowered me. And someone will say, Hey, I hate your guts. And that breaks my heart. The juxtaposition of both of those things is I don't let it inform who I am as a human being. And, and I think that has only simply come from the power of self-awareness that I've gained from mindfulness and my choice, which I think this is incredibly important my choice to use my words as I deem fit and necessary for my life, as opposed to it being dictated to me from other people, you know, growing up, the most dangerous thing that I could do, Bruce, was have an opinion. That's the fastest way to get thrown through a wall, to get punched in the face, to get starved, to get locked out of the house at night. And so I was silent for a long time. And then I started bending myself for other people. I loved your favorite food and your favorite band and their favorite whatever. And I had no identity. And then in actually realizing that this was the greatest realization I had when I was about 27 years old. So a decade ago, I looked at my life and I was like, oh, I have no idea who I am. I have no self-esteem and no confidence. And so to not own who you are, I think is so incredibly dangerous and detrimental to the human experience. Like if you want to use the word you want to use, use it fine. Now, look, I'm not saying there's not ramifications for your language. Let's be clear. Sometimes people reach out to me and they're like, dude, you're so aggressive sometimes with the way you talk. And I'm like, for you, maybe, but for them, that might be what they needed to hear. And so you just have to be willing to take both sides of it. And, and I've thought frequently, like if you're not polarizing, you might not have anything important to say anyway. Yeah, so interesting. If you're not polarizing, you might not have anything to say. Wow, that's quite a quote, you know, because, because it's true. I mean, it's just like, these are just words and words they have impact or they don't. And sometimes we just want to use words that have more impact than other words. So what's wrong with that? Well, there is something wrong with that, according to some people. And, you know, like people judge all the time, 
and they judge us based on how we talk, how we look, how we how we do things. And another way people judge is uh, based on you know your uh, body appearance. And I know you have a lot of tattoos, and I, I'm really interested in in the tattoos that you have. Are you still a person who enjoys getting tattoos and do your tattoos mean a lot to you? And how do you find that people react to you when they see that you have, you know, all the body art that you have? I'm really interested in that topic. Yeah, I, I love the, uh, no one's ever asked me that on hundreds of podcasts I've been on. I love that, Bruce. Um, I, I'm six foot four, covered in tattoos head to toe. And, you know, sometimes people are like, what does this guy know about love and compassion and empathy and hope? I'm like, everything. You know what I mean? And so mm-hmm. if you want to outwardly, I've literally had people judge me just in the most random circumstances on airplanes and airports, on buses, at speaking events. Even one time I was like a speaker at an event and somebody was like, being so crude to me about tattoos and then eight seconds later i'm like on stage you know what i mean and it's kind of like by all means judge away your opinion of me has nothing to do with me i could care less i really could because guess what here's how i think about the world bruce i don't live for you i don't breathe for you i don't love for you i don't act for you so your opinion of me does not matter to me right Again, it's not to say that like, it's not hurtful because sure, but like, I'm not going to carry that. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to let that stop me. And, you know, I started getting tattooed when I was 18 years old. It was Mm -hmm. literally kind of like the first thing that I did as this amazing sign of rebellion. And I went and got a matching tattoo with my best friend. Um, And, and sadly he's been murdered since that moment. Um, And some things mean things, Bruce, and some things don't. Mm Mm-hmm. I look at it as art, you know, I look at it as like this expression of self. It's been a while since I've been tattooed because it hurts, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. you know, but from my, my chest to my toes, there's, there's a lot happening and, you know, it's always felt like this expression of the true reality of who I am. And uh, there's this interesting, how do I want to phrase this? There's this interesting aspect of self-ownership self-authority, expression, um, assimilation even at times um, in which I look at myself in these experience of being tattooed, whether it was my first visible tattoo or my hand or my chest or that the piece that I got when my grandmother died, like whatever it is, you know, there, there's something to that that feels authentically who I am. Like there, there's no expression of these that I've ever asked anyone's permission for. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'll, I'll never forget the first time I, my grandmother found out I had a tattoo. She lost her mind. Right. But that's because my uncle who's covered in tattoos got all his in prison where he's oh. still at oh. and, you know, spent his life there. And we would go, we would go visit him on the weekends and I would just be enamored by it, you know, for whatever weird reason. Yeah. And so I always knew it was an inevitability. And, uh, you know, it just felt like that's, that's who I am. This is who I am. And like, if you want to judge me, judge away, I don't care. Wow. Well, you know, I'm just, I'm fascinated with that. What is the one tattoo you have that has the most meaning for you? You, you just feel the most passion about this particular tattoo. I don't look at it that way, to be honest with you. Um, it's a collection of life experiences, mm-hmm. um, you know, but there, there's pieces again, the one I got 
with my best friend and him being murdered, like I would never cover that up, even though it's awful. Like it's really bad, Bruce. Like I'm never going to get rid <laughs> yeah. of it. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and then I have, I have pieces of connection with other human beings or friendships or, you know, people in the industry I've come close to who've we've, we've bonded over these experiences. And so um, there's not one particularly where I'm like, Oh, this is the most meaningful or the most powerful. I think you can get kind of trapped into those kind of things. Yeah. Um, and that's not how I think about it. I, right. I, I get the question. I understand why you're asking it, but, but ultimately it's just a collection of my experiences. Sure. Your website is thinkunbroken.com and I know there's a lot there your story there's a lot that you've you've poured out into your website thinkunbroken.com but I want to ask you if if I were a person who were suffering right now and I felt geez I can't get ahead I can't make things happen in my life the way I I need to and I have this feeling it could be because of childhood traumas that I've had where do you start with me if we decide to work together so this, this might catch you off guard in hearing this, but I'm going to tell you this. If you already are not in this place where you're like, yes, I've had these experiences and I know 100% I need help, I can't work with you because you're not ready. Because there's a, a very big differentiation between like the exposure and discovering it. And, and this is in the one-on-one -on -one context, right? That's of course why there's books, there's online programs, there's groups, like you can access all that, my podcast even, right? That stuff is there and available for you now. But if you wanted to work with me directly, like you've got to convince me that you have already convinced yourself that you're ready to go to the next level. And, and there's a, a parlay there. You need to be in therapy. You need to have already done a lot of work. You need to have a certain level of self-awareness because my goal, what I think about as, as a coach and what differentiates me probably from anyone else is, and just to be frank about it, we're not going to talk about your past. We're going to talk about you right now and putting you where you need to go into the future. You want to talk about your past? Go talk in therapy. That's what I did. You want to talk about taking control of your life in this moment? Let's go. Because that's really what it's about. Now, of course, do the past experiences impact you? Yes, of course. Do they come up? Yeah, of course they come up. But I'm not going to sit there with you and dive into the meaning and try to put them on the shelves and compartmentalize and gestalt the thing. That's not what I'm here for. I'm here for you to go, did you make your bed today? Did you show up in your life? Did you quit the job that you've been needing to quit for six years because it's sucking your soul? Did you ask the person out on the date? Did you show up for the thing? Did you go and volunteer? If not, if you didn't do these things, if you're not living your life, where is the breakdown? What do we have to do? How do we create the empathy? How do we create the actionable determination? How do we create the discipline to get you to where you want to go? So ultimately, if you're in this place, Bruce, and you're like, this is the very beginning for me. I've mm -hmm. only just been thinking like maybe somehow I'm impacted by these experiences. Step one is you got to educate yourself. Like I truly believe this. If I could rewind and go back to kind of the beginning when I really started to take this seriously, probably about eight years ago, nine years ago, I actually would have started in personal development before I started in therapy. And the reason why I say that is because I needed to take some massive changes in my life immediately um, that were prolonged because I, my finances were tied up and paying this therapist like $250 an hour. And so, you know, I, I think that 
one of the greatest things that you can do is just start to get awareness, start thinking about um, getting into therapy, start thinking about the books that you should be reading. You know, Google's your best friend. Support groups are amazing. Go find those places. I mean, I've been in all the support groups, you know what I'm saying? Just trying to discover and learn and unlearn things. And you need community. And I think that one of the biggest problems at the beginning of this journey, Bruce, is most people feel so alone. And they're like, I don't think anybody's going to get this. I have this experience. And I'm like, yo, there's 8 billion people on planet Earth there's a 0% chance you're the only one going through this, right? But, but you have to be willing to ask for help. Nobody's coming to rescue you. And there is no Disney moment. That thing about changing your life is not going to fall in your lap. I'm sorry. If there was a magic pill I could give you, I would, but it doesn't exist. So that means that you're going to have to take effort and agency over your life. And one of the most difficult things about that, Bruce, is when you've never been allotted the ability to be you, you don't know where to start. But I'll tell you right now, the place that you start is by acknowledging that you need to ask for help. Yeah, I really, I really like that. It's so powerful and it's so true. And in the coaching that I do, and I use hypnosis in my coaching, a lot of my clients discover childhood traumas that they did not know were there. And then I say to them the same thing, okay, now you've got work to do. Now you've got work to do to get out there and, and really think about this moment and where you want to go. And it's not about focusing so much on the past. Okay, so now we, we've gone there. We know what happened. But I absolutely agree with you that um, a lot of people spend so much time focusing on what happened that they don't live in the present moment and aren't moving forward. So, Michael... I know that in coaching, confidentiality is everything, but is there a story you can tell us about someone that you've worked with, a story that you can tell us about how they benefited from what you were able to offer them? Yeah, 100%. Dude, I've got so many stories. It's crazy. You know, one of the most probably beautiful things about what I get to do is I get messages from people every single day who are like, you saved my life. And that's beautiful, but I'll tell you this, I've never saved anybody's life except mine. And, and I always remind people that they are the one who did that because I don't want them to lose sight on that truth because I didn't do it. I promise you, I didn't make you get out of bed today and go live your life. That did not happen. You know, I, I had someone come in and, and they're just, they're phenomenal, right? And I, I think the problem is, because of trauma, because of the mindset we come in to developmental years, having hearing words like you're not good enough, you're not strong enough, you're not capable enough, you get trapped in it. And, and this person just from, a, from an educational aspect is a literal genius, double PhD, like on the board of so many companies, blah, 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 miserable, can't stand their life, mm. suicidal can't keep a relationship, overweight, can't seem to ever show up for themselves, just disheveled. And we just went through the process. 
we went through the process. Like I, I created a program built on what worked for me. And I said, let's go through this. Let's make meaning of these experiences. Let's find the breakdown. Let's switch those places in which we operate from pain and pleasure. Let's get really clear about how we're anchoring ourselves in the world and how we show up. And you know, the, the first thing I, I taught this person is what mindset means. Because look, here's the truth. Everybody's always talking about mindset, 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 mindset. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody tells you what it means. So I'm going to tell you what it means. I'll teach you the same thing I taught them that changed their life. Same thing that changed my life. Mindset is this. What you think becomes what you speak. What you speak become your actions and your action become your reality. And when you come from a background that says you're not good enough, you're not strong enough, you're not capable enough, you're a loser. No wonder you're homeless. That's why your dad left you. Your mom's a drug addict, blah, 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 blah. Well, you end up like me, 25 years old, 350 pounds, smoking two packs a day, drinking yourself to sleep, cheating on all your partners and having a suicide attempt. Mm -hmm. And then this thing happens where you recognize something. I'm being so mean to myself that if I were like this to someone else, they'd punch me in the face and you're expecting to be successful. But think about this. That's so ingrained in you. That's so groomed into you and enmeshed in you that it becomes your narrative. And what I teach people is this. If you can adopt what I'm about to say and assimilate it, even if you have to convince yourself, even if you have to lie to yourself every single day until it becomes true, this is the key to everything that will be different in your life. Take a pen and a piece of paper and you write this down. It's very simple. I am the kind of person who is kind to myself. I am the kind of person who is kind to myself. Because if it is true, which I believe it is, that what we think becomes what we speak and what we speak become our actions and our actions become our reality. Well, if you're trying to convince yourself that you're a person of kindness, that you give a damn about yourself, then what will happen is you will start to act that way. And that means you're going to start showing up for yourself. You'll go to therapy on time. You won't cancel the appointment. You'll go work out when you say you're going to. You'll eat the right foods. You'll leave the relationship that is toxic. You'll leave the job or start the business or take the trip or do that thing because you'll always be asking yourself, how would a kind person operate in this situation? And as I worked with this person, this amazing human being, you watch this incredible transformation happen in their life because they started to convince themselves that this was true as well. And you saw it, the weight came off. They got out of the toxic relationship, toxic relationship. They cut off communication with family who was not bringing them value. They stepped up to the plate of their life. They started volunteering. They started making the most money they've ever made. They stopped being a yes person and a people pleaser and left all these boards that they didn't want to be a member of. And then one day they called me. We had our last call. Eventually, my hope is we always have our last call. And they go, I don't need to do this anymore. I feel like I know who I am. And I was like, that's what this is all about. Wow. Wow. Michael, I want to talk about substances. I know that you have had experience with a whole lot of different substances in your life. Are there any substances that you continue to use for any reason or, or other? Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, when I was younger, I I got into popping pseudofedrin and NyQuil and marijuana. I got high for the first time when I was 12 years old. I got drunk for the first time when I was 13. Um, we, we did all the pills we could get our hands on. It was kind of chaotic. Some things I would do and some things I wouldn't do. My mom eventually died from overdosing on pharmaceuticals. And so even though I still like playing with some, like I was very cautious about what those would be. Um, Today, my experience with drugs is incredibly different. I only approach them from the healing aspect. If I even touch, dude, Bruce, if I had a joint right now, I would be on the ground having the worst panic attack of my life. Mm -hmm. And that started happening when I was like 27. And so I, I think that's very much like your body going, you don't need this anymore. You had enough. Right. right. And yeah. so I don't, I don't touch marijuana ever under CBD. Yes. But not cannabis THC. Absolutely not. Um, CBD I find has been great in, you know, if I'm injured, if I'm hurt, like that pain relief, I don't even like taking aspirin, man. Um, and then I've used LSD and micro dosing, um, not in the United States, full disclosure, um, <laughs> but somewhere where it's legal and it can be proctored. Um, and then I, I have tried um, psilocybin, had a very incredible experience doing that, that honestly changed my life forever. Um, but it's an experience like, I think it's a one-time ride. I'm good. I don't need to go back into that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, ayahuasca is certainly on my list. I would love to try that one day, but you know, for now, I just, I maintain and take care of myself. Yeah. Very interesting because I have talked to other guests who have uh, done ayahuasca and, and other things. And, you know, it's varies. Like some people have good experiences. Some people don't, you know, it's, it's very interesting to talk to somebody that has had a lot of different experiences. I've worked in bullying prevention for a long time, Michael. And I, and I always ask my guests a question about if they have had a situation in their life of bullying where mindfulness would have made a difference. Do you have a story you can tell about that topic? Um, that's a, such a fascinating question to me. I was always bullied as a kid. I was bullied in my home from my stepfather, from my mother. I was bullied from the kids at school. Like I was the poorest kid in the school. My, well, my brothers and I, they get a, had that experience too. You know, I, I wore clothes from the Goodwill, from um, lost and found sometimes. Like I would steal food to survive. I wet the bed. Like we didn't have, my hygiene was so bad as at times as a child because our water got turned off our heat would get turned off. Our electricity would get turned off. We got evicted more times than I can even count. I stayed with over 30 different families as a kid. Like I understand bullying better than most people. Like one time this kid dragged me across this carpet until I had second degree burns on my back. Like I know bullying, man. Like I know that experience. And, um, you know, that changed when I became six foot four, I promise you that, but I was super violent as a kid. And, and I think that because I always experienced bullying, I in turn bullied and that was a level language of communication, right? You see that happen all the time. And I think that a couple of things come to mind. Um, one, we live in a very different world. This isn't the eighties anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I have a lot of appreciation for the kids who step up and don't allow that to happen. So first and foremost, like I want to acknowledge that because I think it's really powerful. 
Um, but I, I think mindfulness may have played a role for me as a child just to like circumvent that violence because it was there all the time. I mean, I've been in hundreds of fights in my life. I've broken my hands on people's faces. Um, you know, I've run from the cops getting shot up because, you know, because it's like crazy stuff I was doing. Um, I was so dissociated as a kid, like even pain. I, I remember times where I just wouldn't even feel pain. I broke my hand one time in a fight and for four days it was swollen the size of like a watermelon, right? Couldn't even feel it because my brain was so removed from my body. And, and I think that mindfulness at that age, at really any age would have just helped me be able to not be so, not necessarily angry, but like to, to make meaning of what was happening, to have awareness around my body, um, but also to not move through the world. I'll give you a perfect example, Bruce. This might actually, this will really apply to you. So I did, I did hypnosis, hypnotherapy around hypervigilance probably about seven years ago. Yeah, probably about seven years ago. And up until that point, I'm a dude, I'm a big guy. Like when I'm walking down the street, six, four, two twenty, nobody is going to mess with me. No. Like I get that from a rational perspective, you know, the tattoos help too. Right. And, uh, I walk down the street with a pocket knife in my hand or my keys between my knuckles everywhere. I went every single day, hyper vigilant, like dramatically. So and, 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 and in ways in which it was impacting my life so negatively, there were periods of time I wouldn't go outside at night. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because it was so, it felt so dangerous to me. And I, I went and I did a, a couple of hypnotherapy sessions. And since that moment, I never do that anymore. You know, so I, I think that, you know, the navigating the subconscious and changing your thought patterns and your behavioral patterns around the the past is just carry so much weight. And I just don't know how you do that without mindfulness. I don't know how you do that without getting your brain and your body reconnected and reassociated. I, I don't know how you do that without massive, massive awareness. Yeah. I'm so glad that hypnotherapy helped you that much because, you know, I found hypnosis helps my clients in incredible ways that I, you know, as a coach, I could never even imagine. And then they do testimonials for me and tell me what, what a major difference it has made for me. As, as we move forward, I want to ask you five quick answer questions, Michael. And just, so just 30 second answers are perfect. The first one is this, who is one person that has had a powerful mindfulness like influence on you? Yeah, my, my, Senior year business teacher, Mr. Bush, um, he failed me my senior year business class because I never came. And I walked up to his classroom one day after the graduation list was posted. I wasn't on it. It was almost impossible not to graduate from my high school. Uh, Harris Polls called it a dropout factory. It was one of the worst schools in America the year I didn't graduate yeah. and I go up to his classroom and I go, I cannot believe you failed me. I was irate, man. Like this irate 18 year old. He goes, I didn't fail you. You failed yourself. And then he said the most important to this day, the most important thing anyone's ever said to me that changed my life forever. Cause it changed the way I thought. He said, what you need to understand about life is if you want something, you have to earn it. You cannot get by on your charms and your good looks. Wow. That's, that's very, very powerful. Let's talk about emotions. How has mindfulness changed the way you deal with your emotions? 
in every way. Like if, if I feel anxious, angry, lustful, too happy, too adulated, right? Knowing that there's this like push and pull when you come from this traumatic experience, um, I need to regulate for a moment. I'm not running from joy or happiness. I'm not running from anger or sadness, but it's, it can spiral out of control on either side of the spectrum. And so sitting down, breathing, closing my eyes for three minutes, getting present again. And if I have to, you know, grabbing a journal or typing myself a note in my texts, like that helps so much because when you come from a place of dysregulation, being regulated is one of the most important things that you can do when it comes to your emotional capacity. Yeah. Let's talk about breathing. And you mentioned that already, but let's talk just a little bit about breathing. How has breathing changed for you and the importance of breathing in your life when it's when it comes to mindfulness? I didn't know that there was a way to breathe wrong, right? I didn't know that diaphragmatic breathing as opposed to chest breathing or or stomach breathing or filling your lungs fully. Like I was having anxiety attacks all the time as a kid, all the time in my late 20s, sometimes like five times a day. And and that was because at one point my diaphragm was literally stuck from wow. stress. I could, like I was going to massage therapists, I was going to body workers, all this stuff. And no joke, it was not until I started forcing my body to take normal breaths did that go away. And breathing's everything. Like I sit down every day when I, I put my earbuds in, I, I play like nature sounds or music or storm or whatever. And I just breathe for like 10 minutes. Just. Wow. Wow. What a powerful, what a powerful statement about the importance of breathing in our lives. And there are a lot of people out there that don't realize that they're not breathing fully. They're not breathing deeply. Your book, Think Unbroken, Understanding and Overcoming Childhood Trauma is a book that I'm sure has made a lot of impact out there. And full disclosure, I have not read, read this book yet, and I would like to read this book. I know you've written two other books, but on the topic of books, is there a book you can recommend that could help some someone in the area of mindfulness? Yeah. Um Radical Acceptance by Tara Brock, I think is just, and, and I know someone on this show must have mentioned that book before. Yeah. It's, it's just so incredible. Yeah. You, uh, kindness, empathy, compassion for yourself, understanding your journey. And look, full disclosure, I've never even finished the damn book. And I think it's one of the greatest books ever read because I just, I got what I needed. It made sense to me. I processed it and it became a game changer in my life. I almost don't apps? even want to read the rest of it just because I'm like, yeah. wait, what if that changes? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, Radical Acceptance is a powerful book. Are there any apps that you can recommend? Do you use any apps to help you stay focused or stay grounded? Yeah, um, I actually, I like the Calm app a lot. When I want a guided meditation, I will go to that guy. Um, and then that's really it. Those yeah. things can be time sucks. Yeah, they can. So yeah, I, I try to stay away from it. Yeah, I know what you mean. They absolutely can. Well, as we wrap up the interview, Michael, I just want to ask you if you've got any final words of advice 
if somebody listening to this is struggling in any way in their life and they're they're just feeling like they're not getting ahead or they're stuck, what are your words of advice for them? You got to make a decision. You have to make a decision. And trust me, your indecision, your indecisiveness, that is a decision. The word decision is literally in indecision. You have to make a decision about your life. You must force yourself to face the fear that's right there because it's not going away. That thing that keeps you awake at night, that just beats you up at three o'clock in the morning, that thing you know you need to do that you've been putting off for seven months. That is the thing that if you do it, your life will be different. I'm not saying better because I think better is very subjective, but different. You have the ability. If you're in this position in your life and you're looking at it and you're like, I know I need to do this and you don't do it, the inevitability of death is upon you. I promise you, it's 100% guarantee. It's going to happen. And if you do not face that fear on your deathbed, you're going to die with regret. And to me, Bruce, that is a life unlived. Yeah, I agree with that. Think Unbroken. That's the website. That's your podcast. That's your book. So tune into the podcast, check out the website, check out the book. And, uh, you know, I just highly recommend the work you've you've done. Thanks for doing this work in the world and helping so many people who who need to hear from you, Michael. Thank you, Bruce. And I appreciate you so much, my friend. I have a massive amount of gratitude for you because you are a part of my journey as well, my friend. All the best to you. Bye now. Mindful Tribe, thanks so much for listening to the episode with Michael Unbroken. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I really enjoyed meeting Michael. Now, as we watch this horror unfold in Ukraine, I have to speak to you about this. Two episodes ago, you heard me interview Natalia, Natalia Harmova, and it was called Compassion as a Life Philosophy. And if you listened, you know she's from Ukraine. If you haven't listened, go back and listen to Natalia, how compassionate she is. She is now a person who's lived in Canada for some time with her husband and son, but she is from Ukraine. She knows the country. Her father and brother are still there. And so she has traveled back there to, uh, to help get her father to safety. And he's walking, he's walking to the border uh, to get to a safe place, probably to Poland. And he is, get this, 89 years old. And I just, I just cringe to think of the hundreds of thousands and millions of people in danger there and, and how horrifying it must be to feel like you don't know what, what the next hour holds. And so I just want to put this call out to you to do what you can to help, whether that means a donation to the Red Cross or it means a donation to doctorswithoutborders.org. There are many different ways to uh, donate and to help the people of Ukraine. Don't hesitate. Right now, stop what you're doing and and make a donation that can make a difference, that can help them. 
Maybe there's another way you can help besides donations, but I just really implore you to do what you can to help with this situation. Thanks so much for listening to Mindfulness Mode. Take what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.